Welcome to Smart Casual, Images Fashion Podcast in collaboration with Kildare Village, dealing with personal style in a way that speaks to you. Hosted by me, Fashion Director Marie Kelly. And me, Aideen O'Connell, Image.ie staff writer. And me, Sarah Rickard, Fashion Stylist and Creative Consultant. In our 20s, 30s and 40s, we're three women across three decades with three unique perspectives on how fashion shapes the world. Fashion and personal style are about a lot more than the clothes we choose to put on every morning. They're about the world we live in and who we choose to be. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to fashion, and we certainly love a chat. Welcome to Smart Casual. This week's topic is quite a fun one and certainly one that most women will relate to. We're going to be recalling the TV stars we each wanted to be when we grew up, the characters on television who inspired us through their clothes, lifestyles and attitudes. We'll be chatting about why it was we aspired to look like and be like these stars, why they made such an impression on each of us at such a young age. But first, our highs of the week. Marie? Uh, So my high of the week was meeting this wonderful young designer called Alana Clegg, whose label is called Four Threads. And she had a pop up in Optica on Dawson Street um, from last Thursday through to Sunday. And um, she was amazing. Her collection was amazing. I mean, she's just this beautiful young NCAD graduate who then went on and uh, specialised in tailoring at the Grafton Academy. Um, Beautiful girl who absolutely just represents her brand so, so beautifully. You know, she just is her brand. One of those beautiful people. Um, The label was just gorgeous. Um, It's a really tight edit of um, key pieces. You know, a couple of coats, a couple of really nice sort of cropped trousers, um, shirts, silk blouses. So very, very tight edit of, of what are kind of anchor pieces I think for for every woman's wardrobe but they're made so beautifully I mean she hand makes everything wow. herself um, The all her linens are sourced in Wexford all her cottons are ethically sourced in India um, it is you know everything is fully traceable ethical those pieces are they sum up the whole idea of, of longevity mm. in terms of fashion pieces um, I thought she was incredible um, you know the attention to detail you know the finishes on, yeah. on every mm. item were just incredible really clever designs as well she was saying she has um, uh, two pieces well one piece actually which is a beautiful um, sort of sort of quite drapey silk top and it comes in navy and cream but she's been really clever and she's lined the inside with this beautiful cotton that's sourced in India because she said then you can just you can turn the silk top inside out and actually just iron it quite comfortably wow, on the inside which very clever it's very yeah. clever because you know we all sort of find those silk mm. pieces a bit of a nightmare yeah. you've got to get your steamer <clears> out <throat> you can't you know be, be running an iron over them um, and I just thought that was really clever she's all about functionality as well functionality longevity you know and um, um, beautiful, subtle design details. And I just thought her collection was fabulous. And I thought she kind of sums up everything um, that fashion, I guess, is is trying heading to be towards, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, what we're all yeah. heading towards, trying to trying to inc- kind of incorporate. Um, clever girl. And, yeah, clever girl. And I mean, she had one piece, a linen coat that comes in black and it comes in um beige and I tried on the black coat and it really is like the quintessential beautiful black overcoat and I I, you know think I may actually invest in it because actually well, yeah, I don't have a black coat, which is odd. I have a lot of coats. I don't have a black I don't coat. Either, actually. Like, yeah, isn't that yeah, interesting? I think I always avoided them because everyone had coat. them. Yeah. It's mm. but you know what I thought it would be absolutely beautiful over? Um, you know, the gorgeous Escada dress I wore mm-hmm. at the event last week. You know, if you were going out somewhere beautiful. in winter and this beautiful, slightly oversized. Yeah, there's a bit of a swing to it. There's a beautiful yeah. swing to it. Like they she makes them in one size. Fabulous. And she was saying, which I thought was really good, she said, you know, 
you you sort of the woman who will buy this coat will understand how to make that shape work mm-hmm. like wow. how that oversized shape should hang should fall I guess you know she has a particular sort of clientele as mm-hmm. well um, but I really I just thought wow that coat would be beautiful if you're going out for an evening and you want something just really chic and understated to throw over your beautiful dress yeah. again you know for you know funerals mm-hmm. or um, just and money wise is, is I thought investment? they were really well priced okay. I mean I was expecting that coat to be sort of around about the and mm. euro mark it was 520 wow. very good so I thought it was superb and okay. I mean it is absolutely a piece that you will have in your wardrobe forever, forever. Yeah. you buy that coat you won't ever need to buy another black coat yeah. um, so I thought that was extremely well priced I think mm. was she part of Create last she was year? and yeah. I think she's going to be there again this year actually yeah. And the only, like, Create is absolutely incredible, but I think a lot of the more out there brands get all the attention. Absolutely. And I remember seeing it and I remember seeing the name, but I think taking it to a space like Optica, you know, just gives it its own its own space and, and allows brand, you two to brands see. that align yeah, and ha- kind of how did that come about with Optica do you know actually I don't know no. really um, I just had a brief chat with Deirdre I think space. I think again you know Deirdre is part of that community and that mm. creative community yes, yeah, in Dublin yeah. that um, you know they're all trying to support each other yeah. and um, Deirdre has this incredible space upstairs from Optica beautiful beautiful it's a beautiful Georgian building I mean mm. a beautiful space I literally was like are you not living how are you not living here it's so beautiful <laughs> I'd move in tomorrow like it was gorgeous um, but yeah the two brands just aligned beautifully and again I think it's just a lovely example of how this industry um, is support how members of this industry are really supporting mm-hmm. each other and encouraging each other and I was just so so glad I made the time to yeah. go in um, you know it just she made Alana made such an impression on me and so did her pieces and as I said I think that that black coat is going to be on my yeah. autumn winter sort wish of shopping list, list. Yeah, yeah shopping list actually mm-hmm. more so than wish list yeah <laughs> for sure so yeah Excellent. and what about you sir? Um for me, the Jacquemus Spring Summer 20 show. Oh, class. my God. Yeah, there's a lot of that on Instagram. Oh, there wow. Is. He is so Instagram savvy. Yeah. You know, you got to give it to him. Um, personally, I actually love his clothes. I know I, they get Absolutely. kind of a bad rap because, yeah, because I, I don't think they're seen as that incredible design wise. Mm. Gosh, I think they're, I think they have a real point of difference. Yeah, like, I, I think he's just so clever. Okay, the first thing that, freaked me out is it was his 10th anniversary Three. show he's wow. 28 oh my god that's oh so scary god. sorry <laughs> so I don't know I don't know what his backstory is I meant to actually look into it more he's stunningly gorgeous first mm-hmm. and foremost is um, Simone Port Jacquemus uh, the man behind the label and uh, he's from the south of France and everything remember his autumn winter show was like uh, an old town in France mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. all the different colours those beautiful yeah. washed colour backdrops uh, he always uses the most diverse models. Now, not size-wise, but definitely um, ethnicity. Ethnicity, yeah. And I, I just, I absolutely love his clothes. It was the first girl mm-hmm. I. So sorry, it was a like a bubblegum pink catwalk that went on for miles through a ginormous, la- ginormous <laughs> lavender field, and it was. Just the most, it, it didn't look real. It was yeah. the most surreal. Know. It was like a painting, you know? Wow. And it had that element of the surreal and then the kind of traditional kind of Monet, you know? Mm-hmm. I I just, I couldn't get enough of it. And yeah, on top of that, the clothes were extraordinary. Stunning, yeah, they were lasers. Yeah, oh yeah. And yeah, and the bag, he's always amazing with bags. Um, this year he's gone oversized 
last season it was all the little mini and um, like I'd say he's one to watch but we are all firmly watching yeah. this man yeah. and like I think he could go on to be the next Karl Lagerfeld like he just seems I agree. I to be excelling yeah. yeah so that was a dream to see mm. all over Instagram yeah, yesterday what so about good. you Aidan? Um, so I had a bit of a glam week last week I uh, went to Royal Ascot for the horse racing yeah. um, so basically Royal Ascot you have to there's strict guidelines really with what you have to wear depending on the the area that you're going into. So I was in the Queen Anne enclosure so you had to make sure to have sleeves and it has to be like a certain length and you have to have a hat yeah. and all this. So I had a bit of a wardrobe malfunction <laughs> and the dress I was going to wear tore so I had to run around last week and get a dress and then I had no hat. So wow. I asked... Aoife Hannon, who I've mentioned on the podcast before, she's a millionaire in Listowel, mm-hmm. um, to make me a hat and she made me a hat in a night. Wow. <laughs> and it's I'm stunning. Yes. You looked gorgeous. Unreal. Thanks, Chris. As you'd say yourself. Yeah. Unreal. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> but uh, no, I, she did such a great job because I was very aware that I could easily go into kind of mother the bride territory and look a lot older than I am. I I'm think only that's every young woman's fear when they go yeah, to an event like that. Yeah, you want to look your age. So I kind of, the dress was polka dot um, and then like I kind of put a green belt just to kind of break it up a bit because mm-hmm. I don't want the colours looking Where the same. Where was the dress from? It was a Rixel dress. Um. Again, it was um, a cotton, really kind of sturdy fabric. Um, and then I got the belt in pennies and then the shoes I had before and then Aoife put gold and red in the hat just kind of to make a pop and she'd like all these leaves and she'd spray paint them and then I glued it all together and it was just this... It, it was so. I, it was like um, it was going out of my head, though, as well. It was. <laughs> yeah. It was very elegant, even though the the colors were quite bold. But yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, I I I just it wasn't the whole garish. Look, mm-hmm. It wasn't garish mm-hmm. at all. It was very sophisticated. Yeah. And as the whole look, just you know, was it, really chic. Mm-hmm. It and fantastic. It looked like I just looked my age, and I felt yeah. my age. Like I didn't feel. It was a bit of yeah. fun. It was a bit of fun. Yeah. yeah. And a few people come over That's to take stuffy. a picture of the hat as well because I think it was very much a wow piece. And I said to her, I was like, I want something a bit wow, you know. Yeah. But um, she did such a great job, so I can't thank her enough. So if you're looking for something to in yeah. a short space of time. Yeah, <laughs> she's, she's amazing. Yeah. She's amazing, really, really talented. I think polka dots were a great choice though as well. They I were, think yeah. there, there's always something youthful and fun mm-hmm. about a polka dot print, I think. And Definitely. I, I thought that was a really, really good choice. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it wasn't a very sort of Rixo print. No, it wasn't. I didn't, no, really yeah. I, didn't mm-hmm. know, so I wouldn't have known it was yeah. a Rixo dress mm-hmm. because, you know, some of their prints are becoming so... so um, yeah defined yeah. brand defined I guess if that's the right way to put it um, and I loved that it wasn't it didn't check Rick so it was just a, a really chic classic yeah print and I can wear it again that was like yeah. the main thing with yeah. it because it is a very weird it would look piece. with trainers yeah perfect mm. yeah I just have to get a chicken because I got it a bit big it was in such a panic that I was just a bit big. mad. It looked like it fit you perfectly. Yeah, that's why I made sure to get the... the if belt. you take off the belt, it literally falls. Okay. But if I got the belt and I wanted just to mix it up, I just hate being matchy-matchy as well. So yeah. I kind of... So it worked out well in the end. And was it <laughs> amazing? Was it an amazing experience? Oh my God, yeah. I Honestly, just for people watching for anything, the Queen was there, saw Kate Middleton, who's stunning in person. Oh my God, she's gorgeous. Yeah. Um it's mad, like, and people buying bottles of champagne, like, it's mm. normal. Like, yeah. they're walking into pennies. <laughs> like, it's mad. <laughs> so we were all a bit, like, my mommy would say she was a bit, like, wow, when she came in there first. Because I'd been there before, but my mom hadn't, and she came in and she was just, like, her mouth just dropped. <laughs> she couldn't get over it. <laughs> she, like, stood up the phone out, like, videoing the queen. <laughs> I couldn't deal. But no, definitely, I'd advise everyone to go. that's fair enough. in your life? Yeah. Um, so... On to today's topic, which is the TV stars who we wanted to be when we grew up. So um, 
there was one character in particular <laughs> whose style I wanted to emulate um, from a very young age and that is Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah. <laughs> can't relate. No. <laughs> I Although I did love that show. Yeah, oh my God, it's such so a show. Right. Can't yeah. relate to the, 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 the style thing. The clothes. clothes. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, I suppose, when was it? It was probably early noughties. Um, there's just one series in particular when she was in college. Oh, right. <laughs> and later, I the later years. Yeah. The later years. And it was, I talked to so many of my friends about this and everyone said the same thing, that they wanted to look like her. She wore like, um, it was red red and black leather pants, like a crop top. And then there was a, there was one outfit, which I think is so weird because people, I've seen people wear something similar now. It was like a tan leather coat and jeans white converse and just a white top oh right that sounds like, quite that's a that sounds nice I think the red leather trousers were very like um, something that Brittany, Brittany was, wearing. was wearing at yeah, the time okay. so like we were sure we all are. So I Brittany, definitely like, wasn't watching Sabrina at yeah, that time no. but I know the, the Britney reference yes, and I know she was trying to do the trying whole Britney kind of like that. Yeah. yeah no I honestly like I just remember looking at her and I used to collect the magazines and everything and everyone just kind of wanted to be Sabrina and then I've mentioned them before but the Alison twins were also huge um, in New York Minute and I even YouTubed the show they had which was called So Little Time and they were just so cool like I just can't they used to wear the little do you remember in those like, little scarfs yeah right? necktie things the necktie I've things I've bought several and yeah. I've never really pulled them off so the fact they can pull them off that's is, the thing and they came back into fashion I then, know, like, yeah. which is crazy mm-hmm. but then I suppose as I got older it was Gossip Girl because Gossip Girl was huge when I was in secondary school mm-hmm. and I think the reason Gossip Girl was so big is because in particular Blair, she had a really, really preppy style. It was very fashion driven. Very fashion driven. I, I oh, wow. have seen one or two episodes, but I found I actually found the clothes to be awful. Yeah, it was. I think the reason I looked at it, I suppose I never wanted to dress like Blair mm. or even Serena, but I think it's just because the fashion was so out there. It was just I just it was think it was so yeah. nice to look at, and I think for us it was like the Sex in the City yeah. of like our generation. Yeah, okay. true. yeah, yeah. So I think that's why I was so like, oh my god like this is amazing and I remember all my friends as well and it was all the fashion magazines at the time it was mm. always like how do you want to dress like yeah. Blair and Serena emulating Blair but even like Carrie Bradshaw I think this is such a cliche but when I got older and when I was allowed to watch it <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose Carrie Bradshaw is someone who I actually think I tried to emulate because that fur coat she has you know the fur coat oh, yeah. that she always wore mm. I bought a replica of that basically last Actually, year. Actually, that looks fantastic on you because I remember complimenting you <laughs> yeah. on that the first day you wore it. big fur coat, yeah. Super. That yeah. I bought in River Island. I remember seeing it. I was like, I have to have it. And anytime I wore it, I wore Did it. Do you wear it over like a slip dress or I wore the naked yeah, dress? Yeah, the naked dress. dress. Naked dresses, yeah. I couldn't get away with the naked dress now, but I wore it with like a multicoloured dress and I think like strappy heels and like a little bag. I that's honestly, I'm such cliche, God help me. But I really, really want to look like her. Um, and I suppose now... I think there's been a shift because obviously when we were younger, there was no Instagram. Mm. There was magazines mm. and then there was television. So you looked at people on television and that was who you wanted to emulate. Mm. But nowadays you have so many more mm. um, places you can look for fashion inspiration. So like I looked at Instagram, I wouldn't really look. I mean, I, I certainly think, you know, kids, teenagers today aren't looking They're to TV for, for their style icons. So I think that's why this topic is, is quite interesting because, you know, uh, our sense of style to some extent was was formed or influenced mm-hmm. by early TV stars because that's that's the only inspiration there was really. Yeah. There know. was nothing there. And like constant. nowadays I suppose there's only one real character. I don't think I want to look like her, but I think I just appreciate the style and that's um Villanelle from Killing Eve. Mm. Um which I think has been a great platform for like designers such as Molly Goddard, obviously the pink dress that just blew up. Um okay. but like 
I was just looking it up last night and like they have some amazing designers she had that Chloe suit on you know that Chloe brown wow. suit that, she wore that in it oh my god like there's really really whoever's doing the style in there like mm. fair play to them but I think nowadays like I only look at her as a character I never yeah. look at her being like oh do you know like I want to look like her and I think yeah. that's been that massive yeah, shift, shift that's yeah. there so yeah. I can't really think of anyone now I, but even like on Instagram there's such a trend of people looking at 90s stars and mm. early noughties, people regramming that. Well, that. They're looking at vintage pictures. Because our only, they were our only influences. Yeah. So they're actually, there's so much content, mm-hmm. fashion content from all those TV shows because yeah. that's... Um, that's- that, that's you know, that you was had. the only inspiration. That's that's mm-hmm. what you had. And that's where, you know, I guess, you know, fashion designers could showcase their their looks, their pieces. Um, so actually, you know, I think it's it's worth going back. It is, there's, yeah. there's And everything comes content. back around, like any yeah. of those outfits that they would have worn, yeah, like even sure. Sabrina, like, sure, that all came back around. Yeah. Let's, yeah, so. <laughs> well, when I was growing up, um, my constants were on Saturday evening. So it was um, Baywatch. Blind Date and The Gladiators. Yeah. So yeah. not a huge amount yeah, no. of style inspiration. <laughs> yeah. Especially night my house. when you were like 12 and you were also a swimmer, but you did not have the body of Pamela Anderson, mm. you know, but all the boys in swimming were just obsessed with her. So it was like, oh, well, that's great. Uh, no, for me, um, I was trying to think who I, what programme I absolutely loved and why I loved it. And I have to say, um, Samantha Stevens from Bewitched and no not the girl band with the penchant for <laughs> Canadian <laughs> tuxedos and who fight like their dad um, but Elizabeth, Elizabeth Montgomery who played Samantha Stevens the witch there's a witch yeah. trend here yeah, um, who married a mere mortal and she was trying to be the perfect 1950s housewife so for me she was the original Betty Draper without the coldness and the depression and you know yeah. whatever else was yeah. going on she was um I suppose as the youngest of four, we were given, like there was a lot of dolls in our house and we actually weren't allowed Barbies because my mum thought that they were a bad role model How for progressive. us. Uh, so we were only allowed Cindy's and Cindy had a bit of a fuller frame and she, she was a bit more wholesome. Yeah. Bigger feet. Her shoes were pretty around. <laughs> I know I had one of each and, and really it was so hard. And I'm, I always go for the underdog like I'm, yeah. I'm that kind of person. Like, so I always try to, to love Cindy kind yeah, of more yeah. and stuff. But the feet. The feet, the shoes. Yeah. The shoes were not good. No, so <laughs> Sorry, like, I you could suppose do with them. Uh, for me, Sam Stevens was was Cindy personified, yeah. you know, <laughs> and was. everything that she wore was exactly what I had for Cindy. Like it wasn't as easy to get clothes for Cindy either. So my mum kind of made her life a bit more difficult <laughs> by making that choice for us. But um, like, so it started in the early 60s and it ran for loads of seasons well into the 70s so you can really see like Mad Men you can really see the transgression you know from 50s housewife so she'd wear like the shirt-waisted dresses the prim skirts with the twin sets um, and then it would move into kind of shift dresses and crochet and brocade and all those lovely fabrics and she was obviously well off he was I think he was a Madison Avenue um, was ad- advertising yeah, yeah, yeah that's right yeah um, Guy, so it was very similar to not very similar to Mad Men, but in that way it was their lifestyle. Yeah, their lifestyle so, yeah. exactly, and their mo- money, you know, yeah. and and um, they lived in kind of luxury. And um, she was trying to be the perfect housewife, but obviously she had this other side to her that yeah, her 
her witch side um, and she was always getting herself into trouble and it was she also had this kind of funny personality mm. and fun personality which and is what, very like you well I'm not yeah. sure about that but uh, yeah no she was great fun and then there was the other the other bit which Endora her mom who would come down and try and make her do lots of magic and be bold and she always wore the caftan I remember and the, very well Endora she the had like the makeup gun face you know she the yes. white and blue eyeshadow every, the pan stick you know she was full on whereas Samantha tried to kind of blend Maybe, in yes. more mm-hmm. so and then like just to top it all off there was her cousin Serena who she also played who oh, wore a short yes. black wig and she was like the sexy mischievous swinging 60s you were really addicted to the show. oh I just freaking <laughs> loved it and so there was that naughty side to her as well so you got to see a whole other style of fashion with yeah. Serena like it was she'd a very wear clever show actually boots. wasn't it yeah it Looking was brilliant back. and like today I'm wearing like a, a knit polo and a suede line skirt she definitely would have worn that Samantha would have worn that and then in the 70s she wore the high-waisted trousers with with the turtlenecks mm-hmm. and she became mom and you know you saw, you saw her style kind of waning and then she kind of picked it back up when she because I think she was nearly 40 when they ended it so her style mm-hmm. totally changed so yes <laughs> you, I love Bewitched and the more you talk about her the more I see the similarities <laughs> between you and her mm-hmm. I need to dye my hair blonder and yeah no she was fab and I suppose then kind of later Sweet Valley High again twins you know there were California blondes they were I know they weren't very cool but um, they kind of for a 15 year old or I think I was I think it was on from 94 to 97 so I would have been like 12 to 15 I was very impressionable Mm -hmm. and they just were everything I wanted yeah. to be. They were permatanned. They had the beautiful blonde hair. One of them was bold. One of them was nice. Again, very similar to Bewitched. Um, and Nelson Twins, yeah, same as Mary Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And their clothes were amazing. They were rich, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And then it went on maybe the OC. I would have liked Misha Barton and um, yeah. Ra- yes. Rachel Bilson's yeah. style. I would have really liked that. And then on to the city, Olivia Palermo. Yeah. yeah, she yeah. was so... I mean. And that's kind of how reality and TV crossed. And mm. I suppose that was the the bridge then into social media and, and the stuff. world we live in now exactly yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah maybe there is a pattern there but they would be all my my go-tos yeah fab mm. what about you Marie so this was kind of an easy one for me actually because there was that's why you came up bizarre. with the topic <laughs> <laughs> there was bizarrely one TV character that I just adored from like the youngest age and absolutely wanted to dress like and wanted to be like. And that was Christine Cagney from Cagney and Lacey. And oh. our younger viewers, our listeners rather, um, might not be familiar with the show, but it was a 1980s TV cop show. And the two main characters were two women, um, like best friends mm-hmm. and colleagues. And one of them, Christine, of course, got promoted to detective, I think, eventually. But they were like complete opposites, the two of them. And Christine was blonde, really well dressed. Okay. Okay, so she's the blonde one. She was the yeah, blonde I wasn't one. Sure yeah. If, yeah, which one? Really well dressed, uh, um, very career orientated, very driven. Lived on her own, mm-hmm. single, and Mary Beth was her partner. Who was? <laughs> I mean, she just wore polyester, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, she she just wore. And oh, that's maybe this is where my my issue with trench coats come from because she always <laughs> she just always had on the most bland beige trench coat over the polyester skirt. So she was married to. Harvey, I think his name was, and she had two boys and then later on had a girl and she lived in this like slightly crummy looking apartment and I just always remember she got so excited about getting a new washing machine, which even at that early age kind of slightly broke my heart a bit like that that was the most exciting thing. 
Christine was so fabulous. Um, just every every day she had different outfits. And I mean, it's really funny the way you talk about what you're wearing today and how it actually reminds you. But Christine always, she always bunched her sleeves up around, mm-hmm. her, around mm-hmm. her elbows. I always do that. And I always remember that. But it was texture, head to toe texture. She would wear a cord mixed with like mohair or cashmere, mm-hmm. fur. You know, there was one um, scene in the opening credits, like, and obviously we don't, like condoned fur now but yeah. but at the time she wore this beautiful um, kind of white fur coat and this gorgeous like pole, white kind of pole neck you know winter white mm. kind of pole neck underneath wow. and she would just I mean head to toe just beautiful textures kind of slouchy suede boots all of her outfits would, would translate mm. today yes. you know yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the gorgeous cord A-line it's skirts like and her. And like kind of, it was kind of a, a sort of a longer short haircut, yes. if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And you know that beautiful kind the of late seventies, early eighties kind of fossil yeah. kind of flick. And her hair was always perfect, and she was she was just fabulous. Like I loved everything that she wore. And the funny thing was, I remember she used to come home to her. She had like a New York kind of loft mm. apartment, as opposed to the slightly crummy, you know, um, she was kind of yeah. place that Mary, where all Mary Beth was was living in. I wonder. I think at some point she may have moved to a house, which I, I hope she did. Yeah, <laughs> I hope she did. She deserved that. But Christine was in her beautiful New York loft apartment and, you know, one one wall was exposed brick. And I mm. knew that was a good thing, even mm. at a young age. I, I knew exposed brick was a nice thing to yeah, have, you know. Yeah, yeah. And she would come home and her apartment would be just immaculate because obviously yeah. she didn't have kids like running wild around the place. Her apartment was immaculate. She would come home. She would open a bottle of wine, you know, just just yeah. sort of slowly and kind of ease, ease, ease out of the day. Yeah. And she would change into her, in her sink, into her silk yeah. pyjamas. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, I love that. Mm. Everything about that appeals to me. And she she was in a relationship, a sort of an on and off relationship. And he was he was kind of, you know, he had his career, she had hers. He was kind of in and out. Like, but he was never, um, I don't know. He never dominated in any way. He never dominated. Exactly. Her Mm. life was her life. And and I just I absolutely loved everything about her. And like the ironic sort of thing is that I obviously I don't live in my own now. I moved in with my, my mother a few months ago. But for 10 years, I lived in my own apartment. And I remember thinking at one point, like, God, Hmm. I sort of like sort of have that life now, you know, in many ways. Bizarrely, although that yeah. just comes back to you then after, you know, you forget about that yeah. that character for like 20 years or something and then suddenly you remember and go... Because yeah. you've become her. Because you sort of become her and they were, and they were rerunning Cagney Lacey at one point um, on RT, I think, in, in the afternoons. And I remember being home early from work one afternoon and sitting there watching a rerun and just like, like, I well, love this and just still loving everything about her. It's a very progressive show. Yeah, it was. Being. I mean, it was the considered so. Yeah, it so. was considered so. And, um, and you know, Christine making detective, like that was yeah, quite a big deal. And living and on her own even and just being Absolutely, living on, on her own. Thing, Although I, I always remember there was about 10 bolts on the apartment oh, yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. Obviously she was living on her own mm. in New York. So, yeah, not, not, not so keen on that yeah. side of it. Like, But um, <laughs> but she she was fabulous. She was absolutely, she was like the defining kind of mm. um, stylish woman on, on TV for me. I loved everything about her. She was a role like, model. Yeah, she yeah. was. She was very... She was very cool. She was very fabulous, and I think I think beyond that, then kind of on a on a smaller level, I think um, the the first version of Beverly Hills 90210 mm, was was mm, a big one, yeah. And all those like handsome guys, and um, and I think although you know, funnily enough, 
the main I think God I'm going to forget the names of the characters now but do you remember the, the, the blonde one that everyone sort of wanted to yeah. be the kind of posh girl yeah, I don't remember know her name. name but actually it was Donna that I always oh, yeah. liked was she the brunette she was and who else was I influenced by oh and then of course in sort of recent days or recent years um, House of Cards mm. like every, mm-hmm. like everyone else but season one mm. um, I've forgotten her name now Robin Wright Penn Robin Wright Penn um, but who uh, Claire Underwood Claire Underwood yeah. played by Robin Wright Penn in the first series because I think or Robin uh, Wright I think she goes by she does go by Robin Wright now you're actually, actually right um, first series mm. as you were saying lots of Armani yeah, yeah. beautiful like smart trousers shirts outfits actually outfits yeah. as opposed to the last series which I hated but also it just became one kind of really fitted mm. shift yeah. dress mm. after another and I think she kind of as a character kind of lost no, she did that ice cream very well in the first season it went comical then yeah you oh know? totally she became yeah. a caricature yeah, of yeah, the original yeah. character but, but I think in that first series and her mum do you remember how amazing yeah. her mum's clothes yeah. were yeah absolutely I think I mean I think everybody was inspired yeah. by Claire Underwood yeah. in the first series yeah. I mean there was so much written about her her wardrobe her but, style, um, yeah. but again the short hair yeah, she's probably the most recent sort of a woman on TV that I think fantastic. Yeah, you know, she's fab. Mm. So anyway, girls, that's a lovely way to wrap yeah. it up. Until lots next to think time. about, Definitely. lots of TV to go back and look at. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Thanks, girls. Luxury Parisian brand Sandro is coming to Kildare Village with its first Irish standalone boutique opening on the 28th of June. Stocking both women's wear and men's wear, this summer is the perfect time to pick up some pieces from their modern and distinctive collection. Today is a very special day in the Smart Casual studio as we welcome fashion designer Don O'Neill to the show. As creative director of the brand Thea, he's flying the Irish flag high on the international fashion front and his wondrous designs have been seen on everyone from Oprah to the Duchess of Sussex. His designs are powerful and make women feel like their very best self. Not only this, but Don hails from Ballyhigh in County Kerry, which makes this whole episode even better because I don't think we've ever had two Kerry people on the podcast at the same time. So welcome to the podcast, Don. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be part of it this morning. We're delighted to have you. So first off, Don, how did you get into fashion design? Because I know, I think you originally wanted to be a chef, was it? Well, there was always a little bit of fashion um, ever since I was very small. I was um, always fascinated by the way my mom dressed herself. And for some reason, us designers and little Barbie dolls and Cindy dolls when we were small um, tends to be a common thread. And Don O'Neill tended to be wrapping his sister Cindy doll up in all sorts of uh, silk scarves and <laughs> long gowns when I was seven or eight years old and had no idea that my future was was going to be in Mm -hmm. fashion design. Mm -hmm. And um, I think when I was uh, probably 12 or 13, I saw a documentary on television on Karl Lagerfeld when he was at Chloe. And it sort of was a flashpoint for me because at the end of the show, there was this girl who came down the, the catwalk in this stunning gown with a long train. And when she got to the bottom of or the top of the catwalk, she flipped up her train and it was this huge, big um, peacock feather tail that towered, I don't know, 10 feet over her. It was, oh, wow. it was a spectacular moment on a runway. And I just remember being gobsmacked. And I think in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, someday I want to be able to make things that would have that effect, that just wow mm-hmm. effect. So I think that was the seed. And then I sort of went down my merry way, thinking one day I was going to be an airline pilot and... Then I was going to be a graphic designer because yeah. art was always something I was good at. Um, anyway, to cut a long story short, um, I did go to art college at the very young age of 16 because I did my leaving cert when I was really young. Yeah. And I got homesick and dropped out after three months. 
Um, and of course, my second passion was cooking. And mom and dad were like, well, if you don't want to go through our college, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I want to be a chef. Yeah. So I went back to college through cert, trained, trained to be a chef. Uh, uh, just upon graduating, um, I entered a competition in the Irish Independent newspaper uh, in the hope of winning a Michael Mortel outfit for my sister because fashion was still something very important to me. Yeah. And I won first prize, and first prize happened to be tuition to the Barbara Burke College of Fashion in Dublin. Oh, my God. So then I was sort of at a crossroads. I'm like, do I keep on with the cooking, which I loved, or do I go back to college? So I decided to go back to college. And here I am. And here you are. <laughs> so it's the right decision. <laughs> so then from after fashion college, then what did... What did you get up to? So um, fashion college, I was very lucky. Um, Barbara, Barbara Burke, who ran the college, was a very smart, savvy businesswoman. Mm-hmm. And there was a very well-known fashion designer back in the 80s called Gina Fratini. And Gina was sort of the queen of ball gowns in London. And she addressed the royal family and she addressed Princess Diana. And she was a big deal. And she was having an evening wear trunk show at Brown Thomas in Dublin. And Barbara got Gina to be one of the judges on the night of our graduation show, which was fantastic. Yeah. And... I was very lucky and I won Designer of the Year, um, which was presented by Gina. And the next day she was having her Brown Thomas trunk show. And I just, I don't know, I picked up the nerve and I just asked her, is there any way I could get a job with you? Because I didn't know what the next step was. (laughs) And Gina, the very polite English lovely lady that she was, she sort of laughed off and said, well, I I mightn't have a job for you, but if ever you come to London, you could do an internship. Mm I'm like, that's grand. So little did she know, but I thought that meant go home and pack your bags and come to London. So that's what I did and showed up on Gina's doorstep. I'm like, I'm here for my internship. I love and she it. was lovely. And I, I did my internship for three months with Gina. Um, obviously it was unpaid, but it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much and got to see a, a, a stuff I'd never seen before, obviously, the, how her studio worked. And Gina herself was a great pattern maker and seeing her team and her sales team and market was at the Olympia at the time so I got to help at the different markets and see the international buyers coming and how that whole part of the evening mm-hmm. wear world worked and then I was obviously looking for a full-time job and I was fortunate enough to get a job with Donald Campbell who was um, or who is um, or was he's still alive but was a designer <laughs> in Knightsbridge in London and in Chelsea and he dressed sort of the very um, wealthy ladies in London uh, who had big estates out in the country mm-hmm. and he had a very specific look of fine silks and beautiful evening gowns and beautiful occasion afternoon cocktail dresses and I worked with Donald Campbell for two and a half years so that was really where I sort of cut my teeth yeah. sort of working as an assistant pattern maker with Donald and believe it or not we were actually in London two weeks ago to celebrate Donald's 50th anniversary to his partner Claudio oh which was a fantastic get together yeah. um, and to get to see all my old friends from London from I think at 35 years ago or more which is kind of amazing but anyway I digress <laughs> um, and then I went from Donald Campbell to work with another well-known uh, British socialite called Dale Tryon mm-hmm. and Dale Tryon was a great friend of Prince Charles and she had a shop in Knightsbridge called Kanga and she actually had one in Dublin as well under the Westbury Hotel back in the um, late 80s and early 90s. And Dale was starting a an expensive couture line um, of sort of occasion wear, day dresses mm-hmm. and evening gowns and sort of headhunted me through a friend of hers to come help her start this new collection. So off I went to Dale and worked with Dale for a year. 
Um, and Dale had, her kanga dresses were very well known back in the time. They were sort of these pleated polyester dresses in vivid prints that you couldn't crush them. Yeah. And her sort of tagline was, you can jump on the Concorde to New York and ball the dress up in your bag <laughs> and then get off the Concorde <laughs> in New York and you can put your dress on and you look fantastic. Oh my God, the glamour. Um, it was the glamour and Princess Diana actually wore one at the at the um, Wimbledon, um, I'm just drawing a blank, what was that huge concert that Queen closed the concert and rocked the world, the Live Aid concert. Oh yes. Um, Princess Diana wore one of those dresses to the Live Aid concert and anyway, working with Dale was great and it was very much um, jet set and fabulous and it was so jet set and so fabulous that she kind of, um, with our excesses, sort of bankrupted mm-hmm. the company after a year. Oh, I see. Which is unfortunate, but yeah. it was a great ride and I got to go to Hong Kong several times and do lots of fantastic things while I was with her. Mm-hmm. And then I decided I wanted to go to Paris and become a superstar designer because yeah. that's what people do when they go to Paris. You go to Paris and you get discovered and you become a star. Mm-hmm. So off I went to Paris and no French and no money and no contacts and no no one and ended up at McDonald's. <laughs> so that was a great start <laughs> to my fantastic career yeah. in France. So anyway, plotted away, um, ended up working in restaurants, literally to just make ends meet Mm -hmm. and learn the language a bit and get to meet people and sort of literally clawing my way up from the bottom up. I worked for a costume designer who used to work with Kristen Lacroix Mm -hmm. for free um, for six months in the hope of getting an an introduction to the Lacroix studio. Um, uh, which I did, thank God. Yeah. So that was it was worth slogging away there for nothing. Plus, while I was slogging away there, I got to meet the love of my life, Pascal, who um, was a dancer for the dance company that we were making the costumes for. So that all worked out nicely. It is. Um, and then um, I got the internship at Christian Lacroix and got to work with them for three months while they were working on the 1993 Fall Winter Couture Collection, which was an incredible experience. And during that time, I had also applied for a green card to come to New York or Mm -hmm. come to America Mm -hmm. because France was not worth at the time when I applied. I really didn't have any my my what my future prospects didn't look great in France. So I just I thought maybe New York would be better. So by the time things were working out in France, I actually got a call from the American embassy that I had been or I had won a Morrison visa. Oh, my God. And I I think at the time you had three months, I think, or six months to validate the visa and or lose it. Um, so I asked Mr. Lacroix, because um, we had become really friendly, mm-hmm. um, what were my prospects, if there was any future at Lacroix. He said, well, right now there are no job openings here, um, but I'll send you to see my astrologist and whatever, I'll, whatever she, I'll tell you what she tells me. So I went to see his <laughs> astrologist and she told him, um, Don's future is in America. Really? So I'm like, grand. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. So I packed up my things and headed off to New York. And I came to New York um, assuming I was going to walk into a job. And I ended up monogramming towels at Macy's. That oh my was gosh. my first job in America after thinking I was a superstar designer. And I had a long, people of line, a long line of people with bathrobes wanting their initials put on them. <laughs> so that was a very sobering beginning to my career in New York. But anyway... Um, there was one designer called Carmen Marcavo who had a very um, had a great creative director who was a huge fan of. There was a show on called Absolutely Fabulous that ran in the in the early nineties, and it was about these two crazy British ladies in fashion, an editor and um, a PR woman, and they were obsessed with Christian Lacroix. And the whole TV show was a parody on fashion, and it was really hilarious. And yeah. if you haven't seen it, you have to YouTube. Oh my God! Um, so my friends say I'm like Patsy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
Ab, Ab are amazing. And anyway, everything was about Lacroix, sweetie darling, because they just made fun of Pat's, of Eddie and her Pat in yeah. her Lacroix outfit. And he just wanted, they just wanted to see me because I worked at Lacroix. They thought mm-hmm. it was amazing that someone who worked at Lacroix had shown up on their doorstep. So it opened the door. I got in and was hired um, as an assistant designer. And there I remained for 10 years, going up the ranks from assistant designer to being Carmen's design director. Um, after 10 years there, I was headhunted once more, and this time by a company out of Canada who had just called mm-hmm. JS Group that had just bought the license for Badge Mishka, which mm-hmm. had gone bankrupt. And they wanted to revive the collection, and they wanted someone with a lot of experience in um, luxury evening wear at affordable price points, and my name kept coming up. So they chased me down to Carmen and um, got me to jump ship and relaunched the Badge Mishka label, which I mm-hmm. did, the platinum label. Yeah. And I remained with that with them for three and a half years. And then the license deal was coming to an end. And I was very, very fortunate, which is really unusual in America or in fashion in general. Mo- a lot of design companies or big designer names have huge design teams working underneath them. And the designers sort of direct from on high. And then all the hard work is done by people underneath. But you never yeah. get to know who they are. And a bad Mishka... The name Bajimishka in New York is, or in America is really, really well known, but I was the one designing the collection. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the company I worked for kept putting me forward as, this is Don, the designer of the collection. And they had me traveling around the country to different Neiman Marcus stores and doing events. And people knew that Don designed Bajimishka and the collection was really successful. And my boss was like, we don't need to be paying all this money for a license because people are now buying these dresses because Don designs them mm-hmm. and... We'll just, he said, we're, I'm going to end the license and I want you to create a new brand for us. You have like the weekend to think it over, come up with something by Monday, which was a little bit nerve wracking yeah, and exciting at the imagine. same time. Uh, so basically I decided um, at the time I had made this beautiful white strapless gown with a big jewel cinched waist. It was this big white chiffon, beautiful dreamy, very goddess-like dressed. Mm-hmm. And the goddess was just floating on my head. And I'm like, what am I going to call this brand? What am I going to call, call this? So basically, I went through all the Irish goddesses and none of those names were pronounceable to the American market. So that was a no-go. <laughs> and then Thea is the Greek for goddess. I'm like, that's really cool. And then it turned out Thea is the goddess of light, which everything I do tends to be embroidered or beaded and there tends to be a lot of sparkle and light bouncing off my dresses. Mm-hmm. So in, a, in an instant, it was like, oh, my God, this is it. The collection will be called Thea. So hence Thea was born. And that was actually just over 10 years ago this summer. Oh, my God. Um, and then as creative director of Thea, obviously, I got to the journey continued and I got to do all sorts of great things under the umbrella of JS Group in Montreal and dress all these amazing ladies like the ones you just mentioned. And mm. it's been it's been quite the. But, I'd say roller coaster ride, but it's quick. it's been amazing. Yeah, but what's interesting is that you you really grafted like to where to get to where you are today, like from London to Paris, like even come to when you first came to New York, like you did the really hard background stuff. Like it wasn't instant success. It was, no, it wasn't. It was never. It was never easy. I mean, mm. when people look at um, my life or the lives of a lot of designers from the outside and you see pictures of us with celebrities or you think we're at, on a red carpet event or you see the glamour side of it. Yeah. And that's about 1% or 0.5% of what we do. The rest of it is hard work where you're, your head is down to the wheel and you're constantly working on collections and perfecting them and refining them and 
biting your fingernails down to your knuckles, wondering if people were like this next collection and you're no sooner finished. Like I just, believe it or not, just opened my resort collection yesterday oh and goodness. we've been working like crazy on that for the past two and a half months. And Pascal can attest that I've been a nervous wreck trying to get the collection finished and whether like this and like that and double, double second guessing everything I do and remaking dresses three, four or five and six times to get them right and not sure then if I like it in the end anyway. There's a, there's a lot that goes into the creativity. And then you have a store, Neva Marcus came in yesterday to see the collection. The appointment lasted an hour. And thank God she liked the collection. But right then and there, that collection was done, dusted. And now spring, I have to get cracking on spring because that July. has to be shown in September. <laughs> so it's like you, you get a two second reprieve, boom, bang, onto the next one. As we said, you've dressed like some seriously high profile women like from Oprah to Melissa McCarthy to the Duchess of Sussex. What does it feel like when you see those women wear your designs? I have to say, I don't know what it is, but it's always like, I can't. I, I myself, when I see them in my dress, I'm like, I can't believe that's my dress. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, it's like, I, to this day, I still, maybe I underestimate myself or what I do or that I'm, I'm just flabbergasted that they would choose to wear my dress. And then the fact that they look so good in it, I'm like, oh my God, it's just, <laughs> it's a surreal moment, obviously, anytime I see a celebrity in my dress, because... As everybody knows, the, the the choices that are out there for people to choose from or for celebrities to choose from, every door from every designer all over the world is thrown open to them and they can have anything they want. So for, the, for them to come to me and to choose and want to wear something that I have made is just... Um, it's humbling and it's amazing and I never take that for granted. Yeah, I can't imagine what it feels like. But when you designed for the Dutch to Sussex, how did that happen? Well, believe it or not, she, apparently she's a bit of a fan oh, <laughs> because she was she was on my website and she had seen a dress similar. She herself had seen a dress similar. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from her team um, telling me that she had seen the dress and loved it and asked if I would make the dress for her in ivory. And there were some modifications mm-hmm. that we made to it to make it exclusively hers. But um, basically, that's how it came about. She was stalking me <laughs> <laughs> on my website oh and my found gosh. that dress and thought, oh, my God, I would love to have that in ivory. And would you would you be kind enough to make it for me? I'm like, holy God, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I see so you were in very, shock. That was, that was that was kind of cool. That was very obviously that was that has been the the high point in my career to date as you can well know the yeah. excitement that surrounded dressing her and even I felt like the entire nation of Ireland sort of joined in behind me like it, instead of I dressed her that Don dressed her I think the nation felt like we dressed her there I, was a there I, was a big swell of national pride behind me on that one. Oh my god I remember the day it happened because we were in the office and we lost it like <laughs> it was just <laughs> it was so amazing I think it's because yeah because you were, it was Irish and it was, she's such like she's such a big profile and like whatever she does wear like it just seems to just it just blows up did you find after she wore it that there was a lot more interest than before or um yeah there was i mean we had a huge lift in social media i personally did a lip, um, um but the Thea, um our Thea couture instagram had a huge mm-hmm. lift i don't know how many thousands of followers we got in the space of a few hours in the morning of her wearing the dress um, but what what was fascinating um, was seeing the global impact mm-hmm. of of the dress because the fact that the palace were kind enough to to say that she was wearing Thea, yeah. we were able to tag and track where the 
picture of her in the dress went. And mm-hmm. it literally, I mean, when you talk about something going viral or global, I don't think we had any idea of what that truly meant until we could track it ourselves mm-hmm. and see the hundreds of millions of impressions that it made. It was just in, insane in yeah. every every media from print to online to social to every blogger, every commenter, because so many commentator, because so many people follow what the Duchess wears, and that was such a high-profile trip. It was it was staggering yeah. what the impact was. It was such an amazing. It was just I'm an amazing still, moment. I'm still, I'm still me though. I don't have a big head around yeah. so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then outside of let's say, obviously you dressed like Oprah and the Duchess and stuff. Is there like any woman out there at the minute now that you just love to dress? Um. Oh God, that's a tough one. I'm actually, I actually, I actually don't have my sights set on anyone in particular. Mm-hmm. I just sort of, I have open arms and welcome anyone that will obviously yeah. come in in my direction. And right now, I'm working on a dress for um, the Tony Awards are here in New York on Sunday, which is mm-hmm. Broadway's biggest event, and it's a huge red carpet on Sunday night that Anna Wintour from Vogue manages. And um, fingers crossed. Um, I have one of the lead actresses mm. in the lead nominees wearing one of my dresses on Sunday night. So we have to keep our fingers crossed oh that that God. all works out. And she will good. step out on the carpet on the dress and look, oh, it's all going well so far and she looks amazing. So we'll just keep our fingers tightly crossed that oh that, um, that will all pan out. Hopefully now. Um, but as you were saying there, let's say the whole thing, the way it was like the whole of Ireland was behind you. Like, I think there's a thing in Ireland that... There's always an interest in someone who has gone away, left the nest, done really well for themselves. But what really interests me is how home has shaped them, either in their work or their life. So, like, for you now, how has home, how has, like, Bally High, come from Kerry, Ireland, shaped the person you are, like, in both fashion and life? Um, well, I think um, a lot goes back to my mom and dad and who they were as people and their work ethic. Um Mom and dad, growing up, <clears throat> dad um, had a garage. He was a car mechanic when I was very small. And the, and the garage, um, which was right next door to the house I grew up in, um, he eventually built, maybe when I was eight or nine, it became, he built a laundromat and a dry cleaner. So dad was, um, dad was sort of always at home and around the house because the business, obviously, that he ran was next door to the house and he was in and out and we were part of it, especially in the laundromat and the dry cleaners and the laundry when that was running. Mm-hmm. And then mom ran a bed and breakfast in the house during the summer. So we were always part of that business too. But So I was surrounded by two very hardworking, loving parents. And it was, um, times weren't easy and money wasn't easy to come by. So um, they were frugal, but we never lacked for anything. Mm-hmm. We always felt loved. And um, I won't use the word spoiled, but we were we were rich in love and we had everything we needed. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we grew up in Ballyhigh on on the beach, literally the house is perched on a cliff overlooking the beach. So we were almost permanently, it felt like we were always on holidays. But mom and dad had such a wonderful work ethic. And I think with the bed and breakfast, especially mom was a great host mm-hmm. and hostess. And she treated everybody. Um, she made everyone feel so welcome and so taken care of and so at home in our home. And I think that stuck with me when as a designer, when I, how I work with people um, making people feel comfortable, putting them at ease immediately, making them feel looked after, taken care of, and I think making people feel loved. And that was something very much that I learned from mom and dad. And mm-hmm. I think um, I think it stood to me in my career, and especially in the world of fashion and not disparaging other designers, but 
people can get a little bit ahead of themselves and yeah. they can go very big egos because they think they're very special because they have a special gift. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with me, I know I have a special gift, but I feel it's very humbling. I don't take that for granted. And I feel part of the gift is to actually make people feel at ease and loved yeah. and special. And that's what I think I try to put into my clothes. And um, it's not about being someone that I'm so special that, oh, I wouldn't dress you. I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't touch you yeah. or whatever. I just, there's an inclusivity that, um, I, and I guess also coming from Belly High and feeling like even when I went to Dublin, there's a little bit of feeling like an outsider. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not you, but there's this beyond the pale oh, no, sort I of guess thing it's... coming up to Dublin. <laughs> and I, I mean, and I don't mean that in a, a bad way, but I just, there's, I, I know what it's like to be on the outside. Yeah. And I think I go out of my way to make people feel like they belong and that they are special and they are mm-hmm. loved. And I think that's sort of fundamental into who I am and, and what it is that I do. So that's very much something from home, if mm-hmm. that answers your question. Yeah, but it's even just the mes- the message behind your clothes and even the brand as a whole. It's making women feel like a goddess. And like, I think that's such a wonderful thing, especially now, um, I suppose there's different pressures on women in social media and stuff like that to look a certain way. And I think your clothes are kind of just something that a woman would put on and automatically just feel amazing. Is that something you well, think when you're designing? It's, no, it's very important. And even, I mean, obviously dressing, um, when you see people like Melissa McCarthy in my mm-hmm. clothes and um, I don't know if you remember, but Gabori Sibide wore um, one of my paddle gowns to the Oscars. She was the actress yeah. that played Precious. Mm-hmm. And she's a big girl. And I remember at the time, she couldn't find someone to dress her for the Oscars um, because she had won her Oscar the year before and she was the bee's knees and everybody wanted to dress her. But the following year, she was presenting and all of a sudden, the big Ivy League names in the world of fashion, nobody wanted to dress her because yeah. there was no benefit in it for them. And she had lost their appeal as far as they were concerned, which is terrible. Horrible, So yeah. when the... When the roster, when a friend of a friend asked me, Don, would you please dress her? I'm like, what do you mean, would I please? I'd be delighted to dress her. The poor thing, she looks amazing and yeah. look at all she's accomplished. And I made the dress for her and she, she wore it to the Oscars and she looked fantastic. But again, it just goes back to embracing people and making people feel special. Yeah. And I think, again, that just goes back to the, the clothes that I make. And even with my bridal runway shows, I now include, I try, I've always made the show inclusive and mm-hmm. I've used girls of different races and different skin colors because again American fashion was very whitewashed for a long time and I've been using um, black models for as long as I can remember yeah. from the past 14 years in my lookbooks more often than not it's there's I usually have a girl of color or um, ethnic diversity in my sh- in my lookbooks and the same with my bridal shows and now we we for the past several years have had um, a curvy girl in in the show and I've received a little bit of slack even from some people. Oh, Tom, why do you put a curvy sized girl in the show when other designers, when you see my dresses lined up with, yeah. when afterwards, when people do it, oh, this Don show this, and I don't know, Carolina Herrera show that, they're worried that, oh, your girl's going to look chunky. And I'm like, that's the whole point. Mm. She's curvy and she's gorgeous. And that's, that's, I want girls to know that because I, I get it for years. People, when people would see Jolene, my showroom model, in my dresses, like, oh, we'll never look like that in the dresses. I'm like, yes, you will. <laughs> I make them so that you will look amazing. It's not, Jolene's just the model, this is the prototype, but I design them specifically so that who, whoever the person is I'm speaking to, so that you will look amazing in the dress. Yeah. And 
having a curvy sized girl on the runway, people can immediately realize, oh, it is gorgeous. And maybe, oh, yeah, maybe I could look like that in the dress that they immediately see a visual that, yes, you can you can have curves and and not be um, a size six. Yeah. model you could be a size 18 model and look amazing in the dress exactly exactly um what advice would you give to young designers starting out now um i guess you need to be fearless and you need to be hard working um uh there's there's a lot of creativity out there and um i was sort of watching lately um the junk couture thing that mm-hmm. was happening in ireland and yeah. And there was one particular young fella from Dingle, I can't remember his name, but I think he actually won, who did, he, he did a cinema couture, or basically his dad owns a cinema in Dingle, who made something extraordinary for a kid. He's in secondary school. He hasn't even done his leaving yet, as far as I know. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of creativity, but just so that they know that with the creativity comes the hard work and you need an education, you need to learn your craft, you need to know how to make and construct, learn pattern making so you know how to make the dresses or the whatever outfits in your whatever direction you're going in, that you have the craft. And and also they need to intern as with as many people as they can so they can learn the ins and outs of the industry, learn the business of the industry. I mean, making beautiful clothes is one thing, but if no one wants to buy them or you can't sell them, then you're going nowhere. You need yeah. to know how the market works. And I And I truly admire, there are so many people that have are designers in Ireland that have come to know down through the years that have um, they have successful businesses based in Ireland but they work very 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 hard mm-hmm. and my hat is off to them <laughs> because it truly it truly takes an enormous amount of dedication and hard work and perseverance to be successful in Ireland with um, manufacturing and sourcing of fabrics and finding the labor force that you need to actually help you with your your business but Basically, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of hard work and dedication and and long hours, but it does pay off if you put the work in. It's worth it. And then I love to ask guests this question, but what advice would you give to sixteen-year-old John? Um, what advice <laughs> would I give to sixteen-year-old Don? Um, I would go back and tell him to believe in himself. Mm-hmm. Um, to truly believe in himself. And I think my, my confidence is something that's been a bit of a, an Achilles heel my entire life. Um, but if I could go back and just tell him, it's all going to work out. Just believe in yourself. Just yeah. know that you can do it. I think. Yeah. Just believe. That's good it's advice. very important. Though. Just that, that positive. Just believe in yourself. Yeah. A trust in yourself and just go with it. <laughs> Definitely put the, put the leg out. And then what's next for Don O'Neill and Thea as a brand? Uh, well, as I said right now, I'm just um, having just finished the resort collection. I'm like batteries depleted, flat on the floor. Um, I need to plug myself in and recharge um, <laughs> because right around the corner is already my brain is like, oh, my God, I have to get cracking on the spring um, 2020 collection that I haven't started yet. And also the bridal collection, which is spring opens the middle of September and three weeks later I have my bridal fashion show so there's a lot that needs to happen over the next few weeks um, to get all of that rolling and get that going Mm -hmm. Um, and then we're also we just launched a new collection called Love by Thea which is sort of a a younger more affordable um, sort of fun evening wear collection that will be hitting the stores in August so that's sort of an extra layer that we've added into what we do yeah 
and and we've also launched a new premium collection with Nima Marcus, which is um, a more expensive elevated evening wear collection with dresses that sort of retail upwards of from 2,000 to 3,000 euro, sort of very formal evening gowns for them. So that's another layer of dresses that have added into my pot of things that I need to create between here and um, <laughs> September. You but it's, keep, all, it's all hard work. It's all hard work and you're keeping yourself busy. Well, Don, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Well, and it was a delight speaking to a fellow Kerry woman <laughs> on this lovely New York morning. <laughs> I loved it. It made my day. So thank you so much, Don. And we hope we have you on soon again. I'll be delighted. It'll be a pleasure. This episode of Smart Casual was brought to you in collaboration with Kildare Village. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, make sure to rate, review and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify.